0: Welcome back, everybody, to Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we talk about films that people, for some reason, are just not talking about enough anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman,
1: and I'm Cinema Lens Mike Reyes, and I would like to go on record right now as saying I'm real. Just I'm I'm, I'm real. real. Okay, <laughs> I'm real.
0: I think we're all real because we also have with us today Chris Anata and Tanner Kling from Retrofit Films, who are also the executive producers of the Snap Original Breakwater. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining
2: us. Hey, thanks for having to be us. Here. It's very exciting.
0: Well, you know, I'm I'm always excited to talk about everything because this specifically too, your show is while Snap Originals existed before the show existed, it's it's still a new burgeoning, uh, you know, sort of side of the medium. And I'm wondering how much you guys thought that Breakwater is a is not only something that as a story was great to bring to life, but also being able to now jump into that new part of where we're going in, in as far as social, not consumable, consumable media.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, Breakwater was um, we, we'd we been working with Zach Crayley since since we were all working together on Heroes. And when Snap came to us and said, hey, do you have anything in the climate change space? Uh, we were talking with Zach and Breakwater came up as an idea. And we were like, hmm, is Snapchat a good place to take this? Because it really is a big story and a big, you know, TV series type of idea that he was working not, a,
3: on. not a tiny vertical show, Chris, <laughs> not a tiny vertical
2: show. Um, and then, you know, what, what really convinced us that it was a good place was when Snap sat down and said, look, we've got, you know, almost 300 million, I think I've, now at this point, it's more than that, but 300 million subscribers, we have 90% of the audience of Gen Z on our platform. And like, half of those are watching our snap originals already, you're getting You'll Get tens of millions of views, way more than you'll ever get on, you know, on, on a streaming show or on definitely on a broadcast show. You're going to reach a lot of people. And we thought, okay, a climate change story targeted at Gen Z makes a lot of sense. And let's uh, give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. And then they were willing to give us the support <laughs> to do really their biggest show that they've ever done.
1: Not to mention, you've got creators like Timor Bedemkopf. Uh, uh, I think I'm pronouncing his last name long. Forgive me, Timor, if I'm not. He's planning on doing like vertical blockbusters with that sort of format. I mean, he, he still wants to do a sequel to Wanted with that format.
3: Yeah, yeah. He's an uh, interesting dude and like nothing uh, phases him.
0: You know, it's, 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 it's interesting though, thinking about the idea of a climate change story because for as much as every, every good, well, I'll, I'll use sci-fi in this term, but every good sci-fi film is really just a mirror of what's going on today. And talking about the Gen Z viewers, you know, I'm not saying that they're, if, if nothing else, they're more aware of what's going on in the world today than maybe we were at that age. But I'm wondering kind of the return so far, has it been where people are kind of glomping onto the idea that this is us now, You know, we really need to look at something compared to people just getting entertained?
3: Yeah, well, and that was a part of the impetus was that this story wasn't like, you know, a typical sci-fi where you're building a whole world and everyone can, as they get through it, they can see the through lines and see the analogies. We play something very close and like everything that's presented to the show exists today. It's just just elevated and a little bit further down the road. So, and we had to, because of the format, start in a place where the audience were already there. Like Mm. there was no time for building a world that people have to catch up and go, oh, okay, so this is the version of that. And this is what we do now, but now it's that. It was right there. I mean, we're talking, what are we 40 years in the future really? So um, that was a big part of it is not, is doing sci-fi, but in we were calling it near fi, right? That's more what this show is.
2: Yeah, I mean if you look at the idea of okay, there's a wall to keep out immigrants. That is not a foreign concept to anybody right now. There are um climate change induced monster storms. Sadly, not foreign either. There's government corruption, there's big tech stealing data. Like all of these things are around us and in the conversation already. So it it we we wanted it to be the not the metaverse a huge and bitcoin.
1: Reach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that just makes stories... I, as far as I'm concerned, I love seeing a good story that launches into that sort of near-fi sort of thing where you can kind of apply it to Blade Runner maybe, where it's mm. like, the, it is a future, but it's not so far flung that everything is fantastical. It's like, there's still oohs and ahs and spinner cars, but it's still very much grounded in, well, it's not that much different from the world we're in now. And this is just sort of a logical progression of, Uh, This is what we're afraid of now. Here's where it's going to go if we keep going this way.
2: Right. I mean, the only thing I really don't buy out of our story is that any organization or government would have the ability to build a wall that quickly, Mm -hmm. that big. Because they're building the subway down the street from our offices, and they've been doing it for (laughs) nine years, and it's still not open. So I'm just, uh, don't believe there's going to be a wall that fast. Second
0: Avenue subway line, man, that took forever, and it's not even (laughs)
2: fully completed. See?
1: (laughs) See that's that that just reminds me of uh, the Danny Boyle movie uh, Billions, I think it was, where mm-hmm. I said I always considered it a sci-fi movie because it's England going to the Euro. It's like <laughs> exactly. ah, yeah, that will never that's happen. Never...
3: Nope, nope,
0: <laughs> no. But it's, it's there's a lot of sci-fi stuff out there like that. Like I always remember, I remember when I had seen Children of Men. I came out of it and said, if you show me that as a documentary, as what's going on now, I would believe you, except for the mm-hmm. except for the fact that you know women can't have children. And it's just like because that's what we're pointing at, you know
2: yeah, it was a huge influence honestly. Uh, and working with the the writer and the director, it was um what are our children men moments? What are the moments where we can just have a sign or some you know information on the AR screen that gives you some backstory, but not so directly and on the nose and and we were definitely trying to find those. And snap also really they built out lenses that you could use for um, each of the episodes that. You know, you could immerse yourself in the AR world of Breakwater, and then more information would be given about the world.
0: Now, that's the interesting thing too that we have to jump onto, but not just being a Snap original, because you're now also expanding, not only are you expanding the story experience in a, a new way, but it's something that technically, you know, since late '80s, early '90s, in a lot of ways, people were trying to figure out or thinking about. Even it was, even it was coming down to the old, the idea that we'd have to choose your own adventure films where you press a button in the theater and go along you know it's just 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 the next step of it so is that something that was did it impede certain parts of the story process or did it make it easier
2: well we didn't really have that type of interactivity built into the story um and the lens process was developed somewhat separately i mean they knew that they were going to do that and tanner was on set collecting assets and uh shooting every single prop and set in 3d scanning it so that so that they could build them so there was it had an impact on production for sure but yeah. storytelling no um yeah. it was really just kind of the snap format and all their data that uh, the rule of threes we called it like the first three episodes the first three seconds uh, minutes and the first three seconds and yeah. you like have to hit each of those milestones in order to retain an audience and if you can keep them for the first three episodes and all the way through that third milestone, you've got them for the whole series, you know, like 90%. Wow. But, yeah. But it was really just about how can we tighten this? How can we move this faster? And, and you'll see, you know, for those of us that, that, you know, grew up and watching movies in the nineties and two thousands, it's, it's a very different pace than, than what those movies were.
3: Yeah. How about them advertisements? Well, I don't know. Did you guys watch it on the platform? You guys got a, a special screening link, right?
0: No platform.
3: You watched it on Snap.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! I, 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 I figured it'd be best to do
3: it that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. That then you get the genuine experience. Okay, so you're you're well aware of uh, what Verizon's selling right now, and you really yeah. want to go buy one of those <laughs> phones. I'm just gonna
0: shove this brand in new
1: gigabit internet connection phone. that can go up to five times faster with five G. <laughs> I mean, what?
2: <laughs> Wait. Yeah,
1: That was way too normal.
2: Right? Yeah. Verizon goal. should pay you for that right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know Next,
0: what? Uh, season two, not? you have to have Mike as an advertisement. His head will just pop up, giving you the information about Verizon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A-R.
1: <laughs> Ooh, my childhood dreams come true. <laughs> that Mike, would actually be kind of neat, though. This thing changes
0: changed Mike's life. Mike is now Richard E. Grant's uh, agent somehow. Uh, what else? What else have you just been doing now, Mike? Yeah.
1: I just stumble into these sort of gigs, and I, I I have to admit it's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, just pick it up and run with it. It's funny though. I, w- I want to go
0: back very quickly though, because technically, you know, since the episodes are, you know, not you know thirty minute length things, this is in essence more of a movie just being taken part in bits for a lot of people. So, in that in that sense, did you feel that it almost made it easier to kind of work out this whole again i know you know you're working with zach and everything like that but to work out this whole timeline because look i don't have to worry about my cliffhangers in a certain way that maybe an old tv would have to worry about
3: i mean it's a bit of both right because we always looked at it as like yeah dude we're just going to write a feature and it's going to chop into 10 by 10 and we're going to go there but you know there was always um you can't not have a cliffhanger, you know, because they mm-hmm. because Snap decided to do something new with this show. And I think maybe a couple shows before this, which was to instead of bingeable, is they were going to release it every 48 hours. So that's a long time in the Snap world to have your audience not engage in something and think about all the stuff on that platform that is just there meant to just pull your attention. So to get people to come back 48 hours later and watch that. Is a pretty tall ask in that world, so there needed to be that thing. So there was always going to be kind of cliffhangery, but yeah, how do you do a cliffhanger every ten minutes? Um, that was, I would say, kind of the the challenge of it. And if it wasn't there in the script, then what can we visually do to make people go, oh, and have a little pearl clutch moment um, yeah. to have people want to come back? And we still don't know. We don't quite have the the metrics yet you know they're going to have all that together with the, all the engagement with all the um the the filters you know what do they call them they're not filters lenses lenses yeah. yes <laughs> it's too late in the day um and so they're going to aggregate all that because because they, they put it all together they don't look at them as separate things it's all engagement there so we're not even going to really know that for another week or so so to the effect that that worked, I, we still don't know. And I'll be really curious to see what what episodes really had that hook that kind of kept people, what ones were kind of duds on that respect. I don't know, Chris, do you have anything to say on that?
2: Well, I mean, it's just, you know, I did, I produced another series um, last year called Hidden Canyons. It's an LGBTQ series on TikTok and each one is one minute and it's a drama series, very low budget, but it had that same sort of thing where you need to have a moment at the end of each episode. Um, and we, we took some of that. We, we infused it into breakwater too. It's like, you can't have somebody hanging off a cliff at the end of every episode, but you can have a reveal and then a push in on a face, you know? And that was something that we learned on kind of a lo-fi production, how to transfer into, uh, you know, a high hi-fi sci-fi, hi-fi sci-fi. Is that a term? It
0: is that yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. A hi-fi sci-fi production.
1: <laughs> hi-fi, sci-fi,
0: Mike's now also an <laughs> entertainment lawyer. He's going to patent that for you. Oh, Thank that's,
1: you. That's, yeah. Verizon's hi-fi, sci-fi, 5 Hey, A-OK. But when you really look at it, this is, whether people like it or not, this is the next frontier of storytelling because we already have, you know, streaming kind of opened the door for this, but now you're kind of melding streaming and social media together mm-hmm. into this sort of thing where I think it's really cool that we're sitting here talking about how a show is being broken up to, minute or 20 minute or three minute or any sort of time constraints, how you could write that feature, break it into that and then sort of tweak it to see where it really works in the microcosm. Like that just excites me as a storyteller because it's, it's always the frontier that's more exciting than the tradition. Totally. Oh yeah.
2: And, and you, you learn things uh, along the way, things that work and things that don't work. And Snap had a ton of learnings that they shared with us too, you know, things like uh, don't open a scene on some- the back of somebody's head because X percentage of people will just swipe on. You know, mm-hmm. when, when when you're watching something on Netflix and you're kind of not into it, you got to pause, you got to hit menu, you got to go out and look for something else. When you're on Snapchat and you're not into it, you tap to go forward or you swipe to go to the next thing. And it is that, that easy. easy to lose your audience. That's why you have to hold on to them so so much. Um, what's really interesting about Snap is it is such a generally generationally focused platform. Uh you talk to anybody over 25 and they're like, uh, oh, Snapchat, is that for what's that for? Oh, that's for kids, right? That's for nudes. Um, you know, that's what everybody kind of like remembers yeah. it as. Whereas I mean, my nephews, Tanner, your nephews, like other people's family, like anybody under 25, they're like, oh, Breakwater was yours? Oh yeah, I saw that on my feed. Yeah, I watched it. You're like, Oh, that was good, like. They all knew about it organically, and yeah, um, uh, are anybody older? You know, you got to tell them about it. I I remember the first time I tried to
0: use it because I was at a Met game and there was some giveaway and you had to go on Snapchat with a picture and I'm like mm. I don't know what the fuck this is I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Uh, what did they ask me help to me?
1: do? <laughs> but there's yeah, we... stuff at screenings. Like when, when we would go to in the yeah. academy, we would go to a screening and then they would have the Snap icon up there and it's like, hey, take a picture of this and the you know, QR
3: code yeah
1: yeah but that's the thing too because like like,
0: i don't know i don't know everything that's available on snap instagram tiktok so on and so forth but you have to feel that at some point when they at least when they started everybody's idea was well it's got to look real it's got to look like it's actually maybe somebody who's in some situation to where this is clearly a produced piece of work Mm -hmm. and so that was a thing too wondering when people would whether swipe or stay, do they think they're first just seeing an ad if it's just if it's something they weren't aware about to start with? And I'm wondering, you, know, I, you probably have to wait for the numbers on all that to come back as well, but it must be a scary thought too to think that, that people may just pass it because they don't think it's right something random.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, Snap did their job you know, and really helped promote it internally. So the, you know, when you opened uh, the Originals page or, you, or the Discover page on Snap, we were always in the top 10 you know, and I'm sure they made sure that it was always the top 10 of, so that, that, that really put it out to a lot of people. And if you look at the amount of years that they have, that's billions of impressions right there, just whether or not they even watched it, like they're aware of it now. Um, you know, I hope they watched it. I I hope they didn't swipe.
3: (laughs) Right. I mean, that part was, was exciting to us. Kind of just goes back to your initial question. And you know chris and i've been doing this for a long time we've been experimenting with short form for all the networks and studios who all launched their own individual you know landing pages back when the landing pages what you did and you know but to me it always made like it never made a whole lot of sense because at the time a lot of these folks if they were broadcast networks they were cannibalizing their own business by trying to create this other thing to like get people to go to mm-hmm. so they were never going to fully fund it it was always this experimental or kind of marketing thing but they wanted to be in that digital space um but at the end of the day they're gonna be like well no we're not gonna put that much money there we've got a we've got broadcast and cable to fund so it was never gonna really work unless someone was committed and now cut to only five years later and everyone's in that streaming game but what we like with snap is like they're all in this is their business so there's nothing that they're afraid will cannibalize something else they're already doing, right? Like So the fact they were all in and going to push it, we're like, let's do that because we'd been part of the failed attempts with many of the uh, traditional places. So,
2: We like to joke that we are the uh, <laughs> longest lasting digital production company because uh, we actually even predate YouTube uh, <laughs> when we formed. So I don't know if it's true or not, but a, a lot of failed
3: say. pilots and TV shows that never that lasted a day or two or like Verizon Go 90 was another... You know, we produced shows for Verizon before, yeah. 90, before they went. Yeah. Mm. Before
1: oh, I'd remember those days.
3: Yeah. yeah. ABC Digital, Quibi, yeah. 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 So there's a lot of them.
1: Rest in peace, yeah. Oh, well.
3: Yeah, but you bring up a good point with Quibi, you know, because everyone's like, well, you know, yeah, that was the other thing was, you know, Quibi had the turnstile. You could watch it vertically, you could watch it, um, which was, you know, a bitch for production and post to have to create both of those versions. I think the other thing that made our life easy is we knew it was vertical and it was only going to be vertical. We weren't mm-hmm. going to have to fuck around with the way we were seeing this stuff. So that was also really nice. So we could, from the get-go, nope, go, this was going to be a vertical story. We got ceilings and floors. What's the story that's most visually interesting that you're going to see this and not this? Um, and I'm saying I'm saying this like you can see this thing. It's a podcast. <laughs> Sorry, that you could see tall vertically and not wide.
1: That's <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I will say this, I will say this much about Quibi though, I'm still curious about what that Spielberg show was going to be like. The one mm-hmm. that they were going to only air like at night. Oh yeah. At yeah. Night? Yeah.
2: yeah, well. Um, is it going to be on Roku? Roku they... bought that
3: whole library. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. And then, and they have, they have actually um, funded like second seasons of some of those shows.
0: Reader 911
3: uh, yeah. is, is where well, they, they put the money behind to do more of it, yeah. And it, the movie. Exactly. Yeah, so, but I don't, but that's about as much details as I know, um, in terms of what, but that would be interesting, because that was one I wanted to see as well, Mm -hmm. was the Spielberg one, because, again, that was clever, I mean, it is kind of, you know, um, kind of a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for, it's a a gimmick, but to me, that was one that felt organic, that was like, yes, but for that kind of show, to only premiere at night, wherever you are in the country or in the world, that's kind of cool and all right for steven
1: spielberg to be the one behind it it's like well we're it's only going to premiere at night okay that's cool well steven spielberg come up with the idea what okay
3: yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's a whole nother thing and that's the other thing is you know again you know with chris and i being in this space we've always been there first but then the big guys ultimately come in and just yeah. stomp us out of the way and you're like well wait a minute we you know so it, you, know, it you know before you know yeah spielberg will be creating a snap show next
0: all right, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna hit stop record now. Tell us what you really know about the show. <laughs> about <school. Yeah. laughs> but, you know, as much as there's plenty to still talk about, you know, you are also here to talk about your overdue rental choice. Mm. Yes. Cameron Crowe's Vanilla Sky from 2000, 2001, right?
1: Ah, oh, 2001, yeah.
2: 2001.
1: Yeah. December yeah. 2001, which yeah. is funny because this is our second a uh, movie from this time frame because we recently did The Majestic with another guest.
3: Yes. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Interesting. This is another that movie. movie that I was obsessed with the soundtrack too, because those were two of the soundtracks I had in heavy rotation at the time.
2: All right. And
1: to the point where the alternate ending of this movie has a joke about the soundtrack, which I'm kind of sad they cut.
2: Um,
3: yes, there's a lot for Chris and I to say about this movie because, and, and the reason it stuck out right away is because we met on this movie. We worked on this movie. Uh, Back at Paramount, that was my first job out of, you know, out of college. Um, But yes, very layered, the soundtrack, you know, having that just chock full. And after watching it again, you're like, oh my, it is like almost wall to wall uh, pop music. Um,
2: I mean, so so, yeah, yeah, Tanner and I worked at Cruise Wagner Productions. Um, I was uh, one of Paula Wagner's assistants. Um, She was Tom's partner and formerly agent. And it was a very small company. It was like eight, maybe nine people including yep. Tom and Paula. Um, so it, it was tight knit and, and intense, but it's funny that you bring up the music because that is how Cameron Crowe directs is with music. So there was, I don't know, tons he a of DJ CDs. On the set. yeah, his assistant <laughs> was his DJ and every scene he'd play the song that he saw in his head, you know, for that scene while the actors rehearsed, and he turn it off and then he'd shoot him. And I feel like you really—it really comes through. Like it was always there. That—that's the music that you wanted was always there, and we ended up with gift packs. Of the assistant made all these CDs. I should—I should make copies and just, or send you the list of what they are if you're into that music because, it was probably 15 CDs that we had. Yeah, you know, hundreds if, and hundreds. I mean, but in terms of the gift pack, it was a—it a, was just the playlist. Oh, yeah. Basically, Cameron Crowe's playlist for Villainless Sky.
0: I—I I have to say, and now I'm going to say this first, so I, everybody's prepared. Um, you know, because Vanilla Sky was definitely Mike's choice to have on the list. I was never a big fan, personally, of Vanilla Sky. But- <laughs> it's polarizing. In I it will say-
1: show right now.
0: Well, here's, well, here's the thing, because we're gonna, because we're, just, since we're talking about the music, because I remember very vividly reading interviews beforehand or before the movie came out, and I think it was Penelope Cruz who had said, you know, something that was like, "Oh, we were just on set all day listening to everything in this right place by Radiohead." I have my, I have my kid I displayed back here behind me. There you go. Yeah.
3: Um.
0: And talking about how much, like she didn't even know what he was talking about in, in the, the song, but it just sounded so good. And like, and it kicks off the movie. I remember seeing the movie for the first time and thinking to myself, this does not fit the visuals. It does not fit the way the thing's moving at
3: all. I totally agree with you. And after watching it again, it's still there. I'm like, oh, I forgot. That's how this movie starts, panning off the bed with that song. Yeah, um, I do agree. For- yeah, I get it. Didn't it. work for me.
2: Yeah. I, I- I I don't know. I saw it so many times in the edits and then in the rough cuts. And, and then, then Tanner and I were on the international release. So we were traveling through Asia for the censor boards for the screenings of it. And that's like a whole other story of what censor boards didn't like about it in Asia. Yeah, oh, Come back to that. Later. Later.
0: Definitely come back to that. We'll later. come back
2: to that. Yeah. 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 Um, that I just am like, this was the first time I've seen it in 20 years, was re-watching it for this. And um, I don't know. I just... I just see it, I see the sets. I see where the fake walls are. It's just mm-hmm. definitely one of those movies that I, I was so involved in that I cannot see it as a movie.
0: <laughs> I, I know what you mean, and I don't mean to jump away from the part from the the point a little bit too, but because I you know, I worked on a few sets, you know, when I first was really trying to be a filmmaker and then things changed. And uh, I remember I can watch the movie now. I'm like, I'm behind that wall. i'm I'm hiding. <laughs> I just I just turned off a fan and I ran. I'm hiding behind <laughs> that wall. Yeah, I yelled right. at a guy right before this because the director couldn't hear the ad. It's like, I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. I, I got nothing to add for that.
1: It's just that personal investment and in sort of memory, like that sense memory of being on set. Like, that's, it, it, you can't get rid re- You can't shake that. Like, I, yeah. was watching, no. I was watching Death on the Nile and I'm just looking at the Karnak and, like, before the world shut down, I got to go visit that set. Mm. So, watching the movie, I'm still able to enjoy it as a movie, but I'm just thinking to myself, like, wait, I, I had drinks there with Agatha Christie's great-grandson, and wow. okay, it's a great set. No, oh, no, I'm cool. in this mystery, but well, I was on that bow.
3: <laughs> totally. But anyway, but, but like, kind of how you started, yeah, it's it's a very interesting film. I, I'm watching it again, I'm like, I don't know what other film Tom Cruise presents himself, and also it kind of begs the question, it's like, why was this remade? Like it, yeah. you know. You, you asked so a lot of especially. questions. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, remember, just asking a lot of questions. Of course, I had seen Abre los ojos, and you know Penelope was in both films, and um, you know the others had come out, and that was uh, that was also a CW production um, made by that original director, and I should have researched his name. Chris, <laughs> do you remember Pedro? Pedro. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I forget his up. name too.
0: To be honest with you, I'll be oh. honest. Yeah,
3: he's, he's he's brilliant.
0: He did the but others anyways. as well. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you know there was there was a whole, and I, I I was not privy to this, but you know there was some kind of deal made, right? You you get you know Nicole Kidman for your film, and then we'll get Penelope Cruz, and we'll remake it. But anyway, all that aside, it's just it was it's just odd in that you watch it and you watch all the people in it. And you're just like, all these people are in this movie.
2: Why? <laughs> <You know>? um- <laughs> I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Well, I remember when, when one of the assistants, he'd brought in Aubrey, Robert Los Alhos on on the eight test, and had received a screener from an agent and was like, oh, you guys should check out this movie. And when Tom had seen it, it was like, boom, the locks came down. They wanted the rights. They wanted it to happen. And then nobody talked about it because everybody was busy on Mission Impossible 2. And uh, and I think actually he was coming off of Eyes Wide Shut as well. I mean, it was just all these.
1: Yeah,
2: it was like peak yeah. Tom Cruise time, you know. Uh, and, and Magnolia and was
1: around this time too.
2: Magnolia, yeah.
1: I, really, like reflexive sort of anti-Cruise, Cruise.
3: Yes, That's, yes was that, right that was that was my point. Time. Is there was a lot of not like atypical Tom Cruise stuff that he was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. It just it was a, yeah. So go ahead, Chris.
2: Well, and and. Nobody saw Aubrey Los Ojos outside of the indie film community. Uh, it 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 was not a time where you had streamers that showed, you know, uh, uh, foreign and other films languages, foreign films. You yeah. yeah. we were lucky to you get, get him really on PBS.
1: Exactly,
2: right. exactly. Yeah, the time get... that was
1: Miramax got him. Yeah. Yep.
2: One hundred percent. And he wanted to the world to see this movie, and he wanted the world to meet Penelope Cruz, and I, I, that's. Yeah. And at the time, coming off of Mission Impossible 2, Paramount was like, yeah, you get to pick your next movie. And also remember, Jerry Maguire had been only five years earlier and yeah. everybody wanted that reteam of Tom Cruise and Cameron Crowe.
1: So the point where it was right at the beginning of the trailer and it sort of, I could see why they sol- they started that trailer the way they did. It looks like the movie you'd expect after Jerry Maguire. Yeah. And then that twist sets in. Yeah. yeah.
2: Which made it a really hard movie to market. I mean, even looking it yeah. up, it was like, what's the genre on IMDb? It's like thriller, romance, sci-fi, horror, uh <laughs> like it lists this like is, five it's different a whole, genres. Big
1: rambling tagline like love, sex, relationships, friendships, like everything. They should have just that's the genre.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No
1: spaces in between.
0: But talking about everybody being in it too, because like it's weird. I know there's a lot of things we see, and then we go back and like, oh, now this person's a big star. But there are it's like so many random people I forgot were in this movie. There's out of a sudden popping out like Michael Shannon's the guard. Michael in the Shannon. Michael yes. Shannon. Well, Johnny Galecki's Michael like Shannon. his assistant somewhere.
3: It's like
1: yes, oh yeah, totally. Even
3: know he's been, I remember, as a kid, but yeah, Michael Shannon. I remember. I mean, first time I'd ever seen him anywhere in anything, and I remember, um, I remember them trying to get him back to do some pickups. And he was in a play and basically giving people the middle finger. No, I'm busy. I'm like, and I remember thinking, he was like, who's this guy? You know, in his New York play, can't come back out to do some pickups. But um, for, a yeah, like, for a
2: Tom Cruise movie. For a Tom Cruise movie. Who do you think he and is? Then,
3: yeah. And then he's Michael Shannon, you know, which, who I freaking love.
2: Yeah. We had to reshoot the whole ending because of a 9-11, actually. You know, the original ending had him running that. through the lobby and shooting it up. And it was just too close to... You know, terror in New York City and and causing everybody to scream. You know, running out of the lobby. It, it just didn't didn't make sense anymore.
0: It's funny also thinking about talking about that trailer as well because that was I remember that being the thing when it came out was just like we emptied Times Square and here's Tom Cruise running oh, through yeah. Times Square and that's what they tried to sell the movie on. If, my <sighs> memory at least, yeah. um, and that was like I that was Tom. the big selling
1: point. That shot yeah. and then the Mint Royale track. I remember that lodging itself in my brain. And this was still, even though it was in the early days of file sharing, I could not find that song for years. Oh. And then finally, it's like, wait, it's not on the soundtrack. Wait, where is that? Wait, what is this? And then I had to track it down. And finally, it's like from Rush Home with Love, Mint Royale. It's like, it, it's just it, such an image of him running down that street. Totally. And flashing and that beautiful music. And honestly, as you had said, camera card directs with music To the point where one of the only other directors I can think of that does that is Edgar Wright.
3: Mm, I can see that.
1: Like He has that same sensibility where it's just like that playlist is in there and if it's not locked in and it doesn't go into the movie, then it's a problem.
0: And there's that Mint Royale tie-in as well. (laughs) true.
2: Yes.
1: But yeah, I just, I remember, I randomly saw this. Like this was at a time where I was going to the movies every weekend with my girlfriend. I was in high school. This was like, Begin, like first half of senior year. And I was like, cool, Tom Cruise movie, he's doing those Mission Impossibles. I, you know, I'm a movie buff, I'll go see anything. I remember getting to the later parts of this film and just slowly being blown away. <laughs> and that ending just genuinely scooping me up. And it's like, okay, this is beautiful madness. And I'm with this all the way.
2: You know, what's funny is, once you know the ending and rewatch it, it's so obvious.
1: Like, oh yes, it's they not-
2: just—the <laughs> breadcrumbs are everywhere, and and I don't know how. You know, I, I I never had that experience of not knowing the ending except when I saw Aubrey Los Ojos. It's, but uh, yeah, just rewatching it now, I was like, man, how did everybody not know I'm what the ending so- was going to be?
1: Yeah, and this was the first time that I actually saw the alternate, which is a little more, not only does it have like the lobby shootout with Michael Shannon, but it also has a little more, like a couple more steps of exposition and explanation through Noah Taylor's character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Since it's my first time experiencing that, and then I went back and watched the original ending, I'm still sort of weighing both because on one hand, that alternate, I do like having a little more time. I do like that it slows down a bit. And you get a little more out of Jason Lee and Kurt Russell's characters just come, you want to talk about the, the, maybe the largest difference between these endings is how, is how McCabe reacts in the alternate ending versus how he is in the theatrical. Mm. But yeah, you know it's, it's still just this wonderful, like, it's amazing what five minutes and some reshoots can do to a film's ending.
2: Yeah. Well, and there was a whole scene. I don't remember if it's in the alternate ending or not that, that you saw where McCabe is in a black Angus, you know, that black Angus, he keeps repeating it. Yeah. Yeah. Did was he in it? Did you see him in there? No, I think it's not a, in the...
1: That the deleted scene where he's at the restaurant with his daughters. It's a deleted yes. scene.
2: Yeah.
3: It's a deleted scene. Yeah. And, and he it... sees the, the dog on the TV, right? Yeah. Yes.
2: And it's the moment that he realizes, you know, what that David is, is telling the truth and what has happened to him, except that it makes no sense for McCabe to have his own life outside of david's existence and it really wasn't until you know the rough cut screenings that we're all like huh that doesn't make sense (laughs) why is he that doesn't make sense at all
1: (laughs) which by the way this is one of the rare blu-rays that i can think of where it still comes from a time where people cared about the extras because there, the one thing i like i said i loved this movie so much it came out i scooped it when it came on dvd and I still remembered the opening that uh, Cameron Crowe recorded talking about the production of the movie and then how it was like this movie with, that was to resemble like a late night conversation with a friend. Hmm. And it was just this beautiful sort of explanation as to where his heart was with this movie. And then buying the Blu-ray, it's like, okay, they don't always transfer features over. I'm really hoping this is still on here, along with you know the deleted scenes, the gag reel and all of it. It was all there. It yeah. was all- there, along with the alternate like version of the film, and then a couple new things, if I'm not mistaken. So, I'm I'm just glad that I think it was 2015 they did the Blu-ray, like 14 years. I have later. to check that out. I, I've yeah. never seen all that stuff.
2: Yes. Oh,
1: it's. I'm telling you, this is this was one of those things where our generation of film goer was really blessed with DVD and then early Blu-ray because it was almost like dime store film school, like mm-hmm.
3: yeah.
1: all of the comments oh, yeah. and the deleted you scenes, know. other things that you could just gain this knowledge from.
3: Yeah. Oh, abs- I mean, yeah, like when we came up, like when you lived for that stuff as a film student, yeah. like you just wanted that because you wanted that insight. Because again, if you're, you know, especially if you're an aspiring director, you like when do you get a chance to just pick a director's brain, but to be there and sit and kind of live vicariously through that process. I mean, yeah, film students, you live for those Blu-ray DVDs and hearing that commentary and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was everything. You're, you're right. It's like the day when people cared about that stuff. And now, yeah, I just maybe it's just everywhere and everything's so overexposed on every level. I don't know. You know,
1: you're lucky if you get a menu at this point, because sometimes now, the,
3: the, the budgets have completely and look, we used to create DVD special features as well. Like when yeah, that's we first how our started business company, started, that's what we started. We were creating DVD special features and doing little documentaries and stuff. And those budgets just shrank and shrank and shrank before. And then it was just like, this isn't even worth it, man. This is way too much work. So, and that was, you know, during the birth of, of digital. And so we kind of shifted over and put our feet on the other side of it. And that's kind of how we kept the, kept alive. but yeah, I forgot we even used to do that stuff. Yeah.
1: I I just want this to be a three hour show now, because I just want to pick your brains on so many things, like especially just the early mission impossible days, I, I may have to Ooh. get your contacts to. Yeah, <laughs> we can talk. Totally yeah, we're happy to talk off
2: <laughs> Yes, and, and what you need to do is you need to get us drunk uh, and off the record, and we'll tell you everything, all the behind the scenes secrets.
0: <laughs> I got some wine around here somewhere. I don't know how long it's gonna get, take to get to
2: you, but uh, we'll see what <laughs> we can do. Yeah.
0: Well, I think what I think is funny is you're going to now check out the Blu-ray and you're going to see like a behind-the-scenes thing. You realize it's like the two of you in the background picking your
2: noses and like, oh crap, probably. Three years yeah. over. <laughs> I'll tell you what we were doing. We were doing research projects for Cameron, um, looking for every butterfly in existence. Like that was going to oh, be God. a visual motif of the film was butterflies in in all these different art forms. So we went through the LA Public Library. We hired somebody to go to New York and go through the New York Public Library, internet, and we made this massive book of butterflies in art, the history of butterflies in art, like every single one we could possibly find. And he said, no, nah, I don't want to do butterflies. Now is it. I mean, like Tanner yeah, and I were up to three in the morning making these books. It was crazy.
3: These books, because there was going to be a whole metamorphosis kind of, you know, motif going through the whole film. And yeah, like, and this was kind of before Google Images. So it was like physically going and finding books and scanning them. And this, I kid you, the book must have been like an inch and a half thick.
2: I kept one um because I was it was really? so much work, I was like that's one of my it's tokens for my time there is this book of butterflies that you and I made,
3: <laughs> yes, I mean every artist that ever painted a butterfly it was insanity Jesus. yeah i i I've suppressed that memory.
2: <laughs> what do you guys think of the title because it's so clunky to me
0: it it it, it is it, I do feel it is clunky a lot of people are even people are fans i like mike you'll you'll say when when I shut up now. Um, what you thought but I, that's what i remember that's, that was the big thing i remember when, when it coming out too is everybody was going like why and i, I know i know he, there's the painting the monet in, in the uh in
2: the in the film. Sounds so forced when he says it the way exactly that, like, yeah we're uh-huh. trying to find a way to put the title into the script
1: like, okay yeah. so so wait what's more forced the monet scene or the gag where Noah Taylor tells him, "Oh, by the way, we we got Paul McCartney to record a theme song for this. That's not an that's not an easy feat." Yeah. And yeah. the theme song is just like, "Wait, chef prepares a special menu to you." Do- okay, um. Time Don't out. you
2: feel like Paul McCartney did that the night before it was due?
1: Like, uh, but somehow it's the film's only Academy Award nomination. So uh, I know even I... weirder. Yeah, and then, and then it's like, wait, I have to perform this live at the oscars i look guys 3 a.m i wrote this down for you and recorded it it was a joke that you cut from the movie (laughs) this is going far enough (laughs) but but yeah i mean as as much as i love this movie that is one thing that always kind of has my mind where it's like okay you you maybe defending the kingdom or maybe you know you could you could think of some other title that could
0: well, it's it's so strange, though, too, especially since when you look at Abre de los Ojos, you know, that as a title is also, that's handing it to you in a lot of ways. Mm. Where Vanilla Sky is, yes, more cryptic, and maybe you still want to fight to where you can even tie it into anything. And so it's like you basically got two ends of the spectrum, and nobody thought about middle ground. I'm yeah. Right. I think it's funny, too, when you talk about them forcing the, 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 the title with, with the painting in there, because... I Again, while we're watching it, because I forgot a lot about most of the stuff because I haven't seen it in forever. And I remember it comes to the point that right before um, he gets in the car with Cameron Diaz, they're playing Jeff Buckley's Last Goodbye. Mm, yep. And of course, for certain people, if you didn't know that that's the title of the song, and that's the song, it's like, why are they playing such a somber type of song when he's all happy and all this other stuff? I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, I see what you're doing here. Um, but that fits into, again, that after you know the ending... Whether you knew it or not, that's where I get a hard time even defending my dislike for certain parts of the movie because everything's supposed to be dreamlike, and you could just use that as an excuse for what's wrong in the scenes.
3: Yeah. Yep. That's always been my—I've always come back to that because of what is ultimately, you know, what's ultimately being presented. Like you said, with the dreams, you can't really come down too hard on any of this stuff because you're like, but that's the world that it is. So of course it would be like, is that a bad visual effect or is that just the world?
0: Well, because I mean, it's the, a dream, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking about very specific, like I, uh, this is only something I noticed watching it this time. I think I can't remember honestly if it was the first time or not. But like, they're in they're in his apartment, and he's got a a breathless poster on the wall, and I'm mm-hmm. like, the the guy they're painting me here doesn't watch Godard. Films. Not,
3: does not watch. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but, but in his dream, God. he might be.
2: The set design was a whole thing because. New York was shot first. Uh, all of the exteriors in New York while the sets were being built at Paramount. Uh, and then basically everybody came back from New York and were like, these sets are all wrong. This is way too stuffy. This is way too, it's got this old New York feeling. And like the guy like this would not live at his dad's place. A guy like this would have a cool, hip, modern apartment. But like those sets were done. So they hired a new production designer. Catherine Hardwick, who at the time, you know, she she had done a little bit of production design, but she had not directed or anything like that. And she is, she's a kooky person, let me mm. tell you. And she was kooky back then. And I think she's probably only gotten kookier, but she um she there was not a lot to be done. I mean, she threw up the posters and they painted the sets, the walls blue, whereas before they were much, they were much more severe and darker. But I, I, the money was spent, so that's why he's in that apartment and why you're like god why does this not this none of this matches up uh, it, it was to the train was too far down the tracks
1: mm. and on like we like we've just been hammering home here unintentionally there's just that cognitive dissonance that it's just explained by the fact that hey david is one of the most unreliable narrators and his mind is kind of mm. going through this sort of internal crisis that he partially designed but also it's partially a glitch yep yep and that's it. I, I think I like that even better than just, oh, it was planned that way. Every single square inch of it went the way it was supposed to, and it's just, Mwah. it's like, <laughs> no, I like that it's imperfect, and it can be, it, but yet it's still consistent with the environment. Yeah, And yeah. the wonderful thing about revisiting movies like these is just finding out why, rediscovering why you love them in the first place, and that's kind of what we we champion here at overdue rentals because not only do we want to shed light on things that people at large haven't seen but on a more selfish level this is matt and i getting to trade our favorites and to talk about why we love them so much totally yeah just this is this is like a vision board of a movie like a living breathing vision board of like bob dylan cover our uh, cover art and uh Beach Boys song that that was something that I was oh, saying. Beach time. Boys song, yeah. Was that one little comment where it's like, Wait, I picked this song, yeah. <laughs> and just again, Anti Cruz, Tom Cruise, really serious Cameron Diaz, Jason Lee, Kurt Russell, really serious so Cameron
0: Diaz. That's one of my issues as well. But go ahead, sorry. I,
1: oh, okay. Let's let's have this mini debate right here. Why is Cameron Diaz an issue for you in this film, Matthew?
0: I, I mean, again. We, we're gonna go back to saying oh it's so any any performance is okay because it's supposed to be you know like what's real what's not real dream like but i just i just can't like i'm not saying i've never enjoyed something she's done before but like this just did not work at all for me i just i was i found it laughable personally
1: see i but she like, does have some
0: on
3: the nose dialogue that you're yeah. just like
1: Ugh. yes but again uh, that, I, I watch those and
3: i
2: go but that's <laughs> the dream so well you know that it's pretty- only the dream after the splice though the first part that's of the movie true. that's that's yeah. her character yeah that's yeah. Julie that car accident
1: dialogue is is julie and is, uh, that's <laughs> that's
2: pretty rough that's yeah. pretty rough
3: yeah
1: yeah um, but i, I, I think I, I think she does a good job afterwards like
3: especially when he i guess smothers her right it's her oh you you yeah know, she, she does a good job of that so. crazy crazy girlfriend i mean i thought you know i i, I like that aspect of her but i but I'll agree that some elements are, are a little stilted and a little cringeworthy but yeah i i didn't hate her i didn't love her but it's it's a lot like the film in general where it's and to your point in terms of the the accidents and stuff it's just it's very visceral on and you it gives you a feeling and you can't always pinpoint it, you're like why is this i'm unsettled now and you know and But to your point, I, I love that. And I love those kind of accidents. And I love that's the part of actually filmmaking in general. It's like you can plan as producers, you can plan as much as you want. But shit's going to go off the rails here or there. You're on a clock. You're on a schedule. You got to go with what you got. And sometimes that's awesome. It Sometimes it adds this element that no one planned for that the audience is going to pick up on and kind of get that same kind of thing. It's not too prescriptive. And that's that's what I love about the medium.
0: Yeah, but you know what it is? And, I, and I'll, I'll say it like this, because granted, it may be something where I would sit and watch it the first time and not be bothered by it. Or if, you know, again, coming to the end and coming back to it and realizing that everything's not on the level that I may go, oh, you know, great. You know, I can forgive some stuff, but and Mike, don't kill me because I'm going to keep talking about this for, I don't know how long, because I just saw, um, everything, every, uh, everywhere all at once last night
1: which I am dying to say. I haven't
0: and seen it. You look at the performances in that movie, which are all beyond stellar. Like every single little piece on every level from slapstick comedy to tear jerking dramatic. And I look at that and I'm like, what I see on film here is a joke to me. And I'm not trying to be mean mm. or rude or anything like that, but like yeah, yeah. you go back and you look at it and you're know, like, why, why am I praising somebody like this when I have this fucking thing that is
2: that gorgeous. I can't argue it's, that actually. <laughs> well, but it, we're talking so,
3: twenty years apart. So yeah, I know. Yeah.
2: Some of there it's a product of its too. time for sure. And and it was a, you know, a bunch of movie stars. Cameron Diaz. What did she? She'd done something about Mary. She'd done Charlie's Angels. This was, this was a Cameron big Diaz. step outside for her. Yeah. Penelope Cruz. Nobody knew. I actually thought she did a really good job in this. In rewatching yes. it, there's oh. the moments where she's like holding back tears and stuff like that. I was like. Oh I buy it more than I think I did when I originally saw it. Um it, she has a Penelope Cruz weight to her now that she didn't no, didn't course, then. Yeah. Um but no I I hear what you say I mean Tanner uh, rewatched it and he called me and he was like, "Boy, Tom Cruise is doing every Tom Cruise thing that he does all in one movie." Like he's grinning and he's got his like the look to the camera, but not quite to the camera and I mean everything is in there. Um
0: when so he first it, pulls out that first gray hair, that look, again, whether or not it's a dream or not, I look just destroyed me in a bad way.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> destroyed me. I, I say destroy
0: me in a good way, too. Trust me.
2: Right, I mean, this, we right. don't work with him anymore, so I have no idea what, what his thought process is. But it seems like, looking at his career, he's, like, focused in now and said, okay, Mission Impossible. I'm really good at that. I really like doing that. And, and that's just what he's doing now. Is he's, that? I think
0: of he's done more of some of his best work re- more recently. I mean, there's great stuff in the past, but I think he's actually better now than he was back in even you know the 90s uh, or, or early 2000s.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well I mean, yeah. So- Tropic Thunder. He did Tropic Thunder after this. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he he definitely has stepped outside now that I think of it.
1: I still want that Les Grossman spinoff <laughs> that they had written. That just I need that.
2: Yes, I. It, I don't know what post Harvey Weinstein if uh, if that character is as much fun anymore. But
1: <laughs> oh well, I, can I, would it. Say, I would venture so because you can either go really dark and scathing with it, or you could go the other way. Yeah. But it's different enough that you can sort of separate it from the real life influence.
2: Right. Right.
1: I mean, you could certainly do it when it happened, but. Uh... <laughs> I kind of wanted to, as we're slowly starting to wrap up, I kind of wanted to pick your brains on what the atmosphere was like at Cruise Wagner once the movie premiered, because while it certainly, it did well, like 203 million on a 68 budget, uh, there was kind of a mixed reception that eventually led to sort of a cult following. And I was just curious how everybody sort of reacted to the immediate reaction and then sort of the slow appreciation for the film.
2: culturally. Uh, Tom and Paula were both look forward people. So there was not a lot of time spent picking apart old wounds or, you know, lamenting how a movie did or didn't do. They had done without limits, um, which was a massive bomb. I mean, I think didn't even break a million dollars. It was, it was a huge bomb. And that was their second thing that they produced. Um, Mission Impossible 2 there's a whole podcast to be done on the production of that movie, but it was a real, real difficult thing, but it was very successful ultimately, even though like, it's, it's a terrible movie. It's the worst mission impossible. It oh, yeah. is.
1: I'm sorry. It is. I yeah. mean, even on the you don't have to level, apologize.
2: Level, no, no,
1: even on the worst level, it's still exciting and entertaining, but uh, okay. So while, while we're in this minor detour, was there really like a three and a half, four hour cut of that film? Yes. Yes. Can we have these guys back on, please, Matthew? Oh, of course we can. You have three, this. You know, this, this needs to be like we need to start Patreon and we need to do the Mission Impossible Two story.
2: I mean, when you shoot everything in slow motion, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna the be the movie's gonna be three hours, an hour off. and a half of the movie. It was in slow
0: motion. I got and, and 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 half of that hour was doves. We can, you know. Yes. Exactly. Oh God, the doves.
2: doves. doves.
0: The doves. Don yeah. yeah. Woo just never transferred over to American cinema. Uh, just it didn't work. I mean, there there are films that you can like and love but he never transferred over the way they expected him to
2: yeah no nope. correct so i mean we, we, we the the company was like immediately it was um i think the others was already done and it was immediately uh, minority report you know and Steel spielberg and then it was immediately last samurai so it was just you know you're always moving on to the next thing
1: hmm. two movies i love so so hard and what's really funny about minority report coming so quickly on the heels of this is you get Steven Spielberg in an uncredited cameo for Vanilla Sky*, this movie gonna, about yep. Dream Logic and running from, you know, some crime that he may have committed. And then *Minority oh. Report* is about Tom Cruise and Dream Logic and maybe running from a crime that he committed with a credited Cameron Crowe cameo. Mm, about Beautiful that, sort then. of.
2: Yeah, 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 I hadn't really thought about that. Totally.
1: But on on the flip side, this uh, the fact that this came out the same year as AI did so much for me because they're both sort of these really introspective films with these kernels of sci-fi wonder. I'll just say wonder. Mm -hmm. And they build such beautiful narratives off of them. And these are two films that hit at the right time for me where it's just, they've lasted through time.
2: AI is one of those movies for me that I saw it when it came out. I didn't love it. I remember being like, Oh, some of us, da, 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 da. but it's haunted me. Like I remember moments of it. it would stuck with me. Uh, so yeah, it, it hits something in the psyche. And I think thinking back to 2001, I mean, you were kind of into this, what is virtual reality? You know, the internet is really taking over everything. We weren't as connected nearly as we are now, but yep. you had this feeling of change around you, uh, and, and that, um, something was happening. And it did. And I think 9-11 also pushed that further into like, oh yeah, the world is not, is not what we thought it was. And maybe mm-hmm. that's another reason that these type of movies resonate. Well,
1: Especially because it was like a sort of cosmic coincidence that both of those movies are in 01. AI is like months before, this is months mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yes, the way that they both sort of sync up, whether it was intentional or not, is eerie. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, unfortunately, I know we got to let you guys go, but before you go... I know we have to. We we promised to come back to at least one international censor board story.
3: Mm.
1: Oh, and then oh, I have yeah. one
3: quick question <laughs> after that.
2: Okay, let's see. Um, th- that maybe Taiwan, the Taiwan story, or Singapore, what, Tanner? Uh,
3: I don't know which country was which at this point. Are you talking about um,
2: Taiwan? When they, we we're counting how many thrusts the Tom thrusts- Cruise does.
3: Yeah so that would have been Taipei wasn't it?
2: It was Taipei yeah Taiwan yeah. It was a, there was yeah, a we thrust limit
3: there, Yeah we were sitting there watching it um and yeah there was uh, it was when it was the same scene where he smothers Cameron Diaz slash you know uh, Penelope Cruz they're flipping back and forth and there was there was a limit of the thrusts that could be happening during that sex scene mm-hmm. and we counted them I flew back to LA and and um Provided that information to the editor, I think, who just gave me the middle finger and told me to go away. But I was like, okay, that's what they said.
2: <laughs> yeah. You want to film. And I think it was Korea. We were sitting, or I was sitting with Korea. We were translating. And then they're like, come, come, come in my mouth. What does that mean? And I was like, oh, um, uh, and I was like, yeah. I explained what it meant. And then that wow. did not make it in the cut.
1: Uh, yeah. so it was probably like when you shake someone's hand, you make a promise. Yes, yeah, right. right. <laughs> so my last thing, because I'm sorry, I'm a, I, I'm a squirrel. I'm just rolling around that whole thing about three and a half hours of Mission Impossible 2. Did you guys see that cut? And what do you think was most missed in me, the final theatrical version of that film?
3: I did not see that cut. That kind of predated my time there.
2: Yeah, I was there, but it was definitely, that was a lock and key movie. I I think they knew it was in trouble. So nobody, but Tom and Paula and the director and editor were, and the studio were in that. Hmm. It was very, very hush-hush on that three and a half hour cut.
1: And everything was pretty, yeah,
2: with everything being still pretty analog, um, you could do that. I mean, they were making uh, prints and taking them. It was, Mission Impossible 2 was cut on film. I think Vanilla Sky was digital. Like, that was avid. But, I mean, I remember rooms of film reels hanging everywhere, and they were cutting it, uh, cutting that movie that way. Which is crazy, now that I think of it. Yeah. I'm old.
0: <laughs> I, I, I was part of the very last, like, uh, schools to ever have to teach their students on, on Steinbeck's, on flatbeds. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got to, I got, they sold them off right after oh. I left school. Where'd you go to school? Oh, well, this was actually, this was, this was before this, was, I did a New York Film Academy program before okay. it was accredited. Um, yep. And it was there that I did it. Yeah. But then I went to yeah. in Canada where we were, we were doing on ad, We actually did Final Cut because uh, you had to be in the editing program specifically to use Advent Machines. The rest of us used Final Cut.
2: Got it. Got it. Yep. Now we did the Upright movieolas and the, the Flatbeds. I remember those. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. And and then meet me
3: 100. Over your shoulder.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Gemma,
0: thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This is awesome.
1: This is such a blast, guys. Uh, come back anytime. Yeah. Just thank you so start, so much.
0: <laughs> Sorry it took so long to get this settled too. Mike and I, our schedule with I guess with South by and a lot of this stuff, it just went to shit.
3: Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. All good. Yeah. No all worries. <laughs> it was a pleasure to meet you both. Thanks for having us. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye.
0: Chris Anata, Tanner Kling, thank you so much for joining us. What uh, a conversation.
1: Um, yeah, I, I I wanted you to have the names this time because A, I, I wanted you to give you the opportunity to to do the the exc- exclamatory thing, but also I'm just still kind of stewing in my own sort of just awe <laughs> of what we've got here because the stories that could be told and just the stories that were told, great. The stories that could be told would probably have to be off record, but they'd still be a hell of a thing. But
0: let's, let's, let's I, I, before we go into all of that, let's just paint a little bit of a picture because you mentioned it a little bit when we started talking to them. But for those who don't know, you know, we were, we were set to talk to, to, to Chris and Tanner. And at the time it was, you know, we were obviously going to be talking about their show for, um, for Breakwater, but we didn't have anything planned for their overdue rental. We just gave them our list of films we want to talk about. And they chose because they saw that Mike was the Vanilla Sky. So they chose to talk about Vanilla Sky. And we kept having to push our interview because our schedules couldn't match out. And Mike and I got very busy. And so it wasn't until maybe like two to three weeks after we were already knew we were going to talk to them that we noticed that they worked on the film. So it just kind of like opened up a whole new door for us to be prepared for let's see what we get. And man, we got some stuff.
1: Yeah, and then I was sitting there like, okay, great. So we could just say like, oh, do you have any cool crew stories, or like, were you there the day that any other days that Tom Cruise shot? And then Chris, right from the get out, right from the the out, was like, oh yeah. yeah. So uh, we worked for Cruise Wagner, and I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck? Just okay. So we didn't no lead to Barry here because we didn't know that the lead was there.
0: It's funny because I knew at that point. By the time we talked to them, I knew. That they worked, Cruz Wagner. Uh, you know, I didn't know specifically where they started and how the, which, which specific jobs they were working on on this film. But I knew they both worked, and I didn't even though they said it. I didn't know officially that's where they officially met. Um, but I didn't want to like actually say it out loud because I'm like, let's just let this come out naturally uh, and see where it goes. So I didn't, you know, I didn't want to actually bring it up that I had known that fact before we actually got
1: there. Well, that's okay because it was like a little gift for me to open on air and folks will probably be able to just hear my (laughs) flabbergastedness if they don't already know it by now because wow i mean and also you just you know and you know you know true storytellers when they can talk about yeah their craft like that i mean for the most part like some people are really good storytellers and may not be may not want to be conversationalists and that's perfectly fine too we accept all kinds on overdue rentals and all major credit cards but that is like that that was just one of the like most natural conversations I think we've ever had and like even with me fanning out and circling back to okay so what can you tell us about Mission Impossible 2's four-hour cut like well that's
0: that's the thing it's like look for people who don't who don't know or haven't had the experience you know a lot of the times you know when mike and i are talking to people it's you know it's part of a junket experience and even though they're very open people and talkative and can have a great conversation there are certain kind of lines that are like well we have to talk about this that and the other thing and they kind of get in and they're they talk oh yeah after they've talked to like 30 other people and then they're talking to 30 other people after so constraints involved so like our conversations earlier on with Robert Wool or or John Emile, where it was like, we had something that's kind of separated. It had that feeling with what we had with Chris and Tanner. And you could tell that even so, even, even with it being able to be a little more open, you could just tell how free flowing these guys are and how um, just generous they must be in everything they do, because it's clear that they, you know, it's not just, it's not just having a good conversation. It's just
1: like, we're just, we're just, we're just, we're just, ha- we're just, we're just shooting the shit. <laughs> it's breathing. It's that yeah, natural. And can you believe it's almost been a year? It really has almost been up, a year. It's coming up on an official year, everybody. Coming up on yeah. an
0: official year.
1: A year. Uh, I think we're up to what? 40, 41 episodes at this point. Well,
0: depending on when you listen to this and maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, do we, do we do a show just looking back on a year? like a, an extra show? Or do we like just sort of throw it in at the end just be, because I, I there's like so many things I kind of want to dig into and like talk about with what we've done so far. We can and talk just about thinking,
2: that after. We can talk about that after for sure, yeah.
1: Yeah, and just, I mean, thinking back to like the Robert Wool episode on Mistress and John Emile on The Singing Detective, which are both available on wherever you ethically source your podcast. We'll get into that later, That's business. But just thinking back to those episodes, like that Robert Wool conversation. Just the whole, like, the whole thing he, the whole scree, well, not scree, but the whole thing he had about network sticks in my head.
0: Well, I'll tell you, not necessarily what sticks in my head, but what I think is funny about this is for everybody who is um, listening to this, um, you know, again, because of our schedules, Mike and I have to split up certain recording parts. And while we talked to Chris and Tanner uh, on one week, this is being recorded the day after the slap heard around the world. uh <laughs> and the robert wool episode robert was showing us his oscar ballot for that year's
3: oscars oh you're right
0: and so it's just like talking about that whole just like we're coming up on a year thing you know it's so strange thinking about it's like we were looking we were talking about balloting and the voting process and how it's ranked uh what he thinks should be winning and nominated and all that other fun stuff. And now we're here and uh, it's another year of um, madness.
1: Yeah, and again, I mean, I really like to to tease this because we're a show, we kind of have to tease what's going on. If you knew what we had in the can and if you knew what we're trying to line up, (laughs) oh man, I mean, there was a, I will not mention, I will not name names, but there was a particular ask that you had sent me today Mm. and my eyes lit up because this person is wonderful. The movie that we have suggested to them is wonderful. Although it, I, I, this is another person that I would love to get back, even though we haven't already had them once, because there's another film that is definitely. I. A I I,
0: I won't, here's the thing, people. We don't know this. We may not have this interview coming up. This is one of the the possibilities coming up. We'll see. Yeah. One of uh, our
1: more nebulous episodes. That's like, it's, it's 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 on the track, but it's
0: not in the station. Well, what I'm looking forward to, is if it does happen, I have talked with this person before, and this person is one of the most—I don't want to say uncensored, but just Ooh. very um, free-thinking, frank, free-thinking. yeah, frank and free and free-speaking people I've ever spoken to. <laughs> uh, and so, so, to be happy. on this format with us, I think would be would be really fun
1: that makes me so happy because of who they are and because of certain experiences that I want to ask them about with two major franchises. One where they weren't a major cog, but they were definitely a, good, a big piece. And then the other one that they are obviously a major player. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll only lay down one hint. Uh, I don't even know if we made... should. Just because oh, okay. I don't want to ruin,
0: I don't even know because somebody's going to figure it out and then it's not going to happen. <laughs> then it's going to be like, oh
1: okay all right it was it was more of a vague hint to the studio let's hear the hint
0: though let's hear the hint
1: well you know, I, you know what i'll tell you off air because no, I don't no,
0: want... i'll just cut it if i don't like it
1: okay fine well if i think people
0: figure it, if people figure it out i'll cut it i'll cut it
1: we might get to talk about a major mickey mouse organization here
0: hmm. that's not that bad
1: no i mean press, it's I don't very know. Hmm. Eh. Hmm. may not be a literal mickey mouse organization it's just a, it's a nice term well
0: till that happens Open up your Snapchat. Watch Breakwater, please. Because you know you know there's going to be a second season coming out, so get you get get everything you need filled in now.
1: Snap honestly sounds very hot on this, and you know what? It's before this whole experience. I was it, obviously there's that sort of reticence where it's like, I know social media platforms want to have originals, but just everything that's gone into this, it it really does sound like they they are hot on this. And uh, I think Chris and Tanner should get in touch with Steven Spielberg and revive that old Quibi show.
0: And then while they're doing that, you can also cross off an Ellis guy from your overdue rentals list if you haven't seen it yet.
1: As you absolutely should, because even with its its imperfections, its flaws, its uh, inspirations from a pop song or a late night conversation you would have had with a friend. This is one of those movies where if you can stream it, fine. But if you HBO really Max. want- what HBO Max. But if you really want the experience, if you really just want to dive into this or revisit, get the Blu-ray. It's probably around 11 to $15. <laughs> dig into the special features, dig into the alternate version, just the introductions, everything. Just lose yourself to Vanilla Sky and have a fun time because that is what we're about, what we're uh, all about here on Overdue Rentals. Awesome.
0: Yeah. And that's also what I think was great about this conversation because again, Mike, I I knew that you loved this film. You knew that I wasn't as as much of a fan of the film. And even though Tanner and uh, Chris talked very openly about it, I still don't know whether they liked it or not. And they worked on it. And that's what I think was great. That's why it's probably one of the most open conversations we've ever had about a movie ever.
1: Oh, definitely. And I think that's kind of, that's probably one of the best examples of our ethos here at Overdue Rentals. It's like, we may not necessarily like the films on the list, although we still need to talk about a potential veto list that may be interesting and fun uh goings for uh some thoughts we had but, yeah.
0: but what i like about the what i like about the veto list is that even if it gets veto we still have another other episode of it on other a, a, another episode of on it about it oh my god even if we have a veto list we could still have an episode about those films on the veto list on a separate sh- offshoot
1: yeah it doesn't no, mean we're not going to just-
0: talk about them it just means they may not fit the overdue rentals. I apologize. I cut you off, Mike.
1: No, that's okay. No, you're right. They may not fit the overdue rentals like the the traditional mold, but it'll be a format breaker that really allows us to, to dig in and like have some, have some fun with it. But even though the main line is just, again, almost a year here, uh, probably over a year since we started talking about this and it's just been so much fun that we will get to talk about at another time. But again, Uh, I believe Matthew had said you should cross Vanilla Sky off your Overdue Rentals list.
0: And Mike, where can people find us?
1: Oh, that's a very good question because you do not need tech support to, uh, nor do you need to to decide where you need to splice us into your life. Uh, You can just pick us up at any point on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to send us emails love letters suggestions theories on cameron diaz's character and whether or not she is a ghost please email us at overdorendalls at gmail.com the ghost thing was the first thing i could think of uh <laughs> i don't know email us your theories on whether cameron diaz's character in vanilla sky connects to her character in the mask or i don't know pick another film uh we're, we're easy here the
0: but- uh, counselor
1: <laughs> oh, how, how do I have a feeling that is going to be? An Honestly, actually, here?
0: when you think about it, that's actually a uh, there's actually a good good connection you could make in essence for, you know, the type of person each character is.
1: <laughs> I've never seen the counselor. I feel like I have to because of this. And uh, you know about
0: you know about the scene though, right?
1: Oh yeah, dancing on the car. Well,
3: we're
1: yeah. going to have to talk. We're going to have to talk. But while we talk, and you. Can, go, like, while we talk, you can go and find other instances of us talking, albeit also pre recorded from the past. My hair may have been different then, but uh, you can find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, uh... Breaker. Breaker. Uh, David Ames's subconscious lucid dreams. We're everywhere. But While we have you there, while we have you here, while we have you anywhere, please rate, review, and subscribe because we'd love to keep the rental counter open. And who knows, you know, your kudos and uh, praise may win the attention of some fans in Hollywood. And we can get bigger guests. We can get guests that you want. I mean, look, Matthew and I may be doing this because we want to build a show that people love, but, Part of that is we want you to enjoy it with us. It's not just, we, we do not just sit in front of each other for periods of time to talk for our health. We do it because we want to entertain and we want to enlighten. And now we want to go home. So Matthew. Blah-bye. Blow Blow by.